Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to our final session of our Becoming Byzantine series. This is lesson 36 in our walk through the Ukrainian Catholic Catechism, Christ our Pascha. Um, it's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. And so we conclude our time together today. Um, we look forward to many other initi initiatives coming out of uh, the Vineyard of the Lord Catholic Ministries, because we've really enjoyed serving you, our viewers, um, with, with bringing the gospel of Christ. And so let's begin our time together with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, treasury of blessings and giver of life, Come and abide in us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. And dear Lord, I give you thanks for this series, for those who have organized it, uh, for the opportunity to teach it. Um, please bless my, my inadequacy. And for all those who are viewing this, I pray for them, and I ask that you would bless them all with your most gracious and Holy Spirit, with every grace and blessing that they need um, to do your will and to give glory to your name. I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much. All right, a lot to cover today. This final one is going to be a doozy as we conclude this last part of the catechism, um, kind of concluding our discussion on Catholic social teaching so paragraph 954 talks about the role of the state um, as a natural institution um, formed very naturally from uh, collections of families and then cities, you know, villages and cities and then countries and, you know, see the history of the world for all that stuff. But um, the state ab absolutely um, is, is natural um, and it stems from our need for community. We are not isolated individuals we need community and in fact human beings thrive in community and the state one of the main functions of the state is to promote the common good um, by limiting evil right uh, we have a system of law that is based in the ten commandments uh, it's based in kind of judeo-christian understanding of morality um, so murderers get punished thieves get punished. Why? Because those things are wrong, right? Um, so we follow the kind of guidance of the Judeo-Christian tr tradition, uh, and we punish those crimes which are evil. Okay? Uh, some other roles of the state are to uh, defend its borders from unjust attack, uh, to establish relationships with other nations by diplomacy, um, keeping law and order um, by, by uh, you know, providing the service of, you know, local and state police and a uh, national military and promoting the common good by the passage of good laws. Um, also kind of implicit in this, especially in that second one, is encouraging virtue. Um, a good state uh, should, should encourage her people uh, in virtue. Um, that's why I have this image of uh, St. Louis, King of France, uh, who's certainly a, a ruler who, though a monarch, um, certainly 
ruled with the help of others um, and certainly was very uh, concerned with the administration of Christian justice in his, in his kingdom, uh, but also encouraging virtue. Um, so there are as many poor politicians as there are in our world today. Um, there are examples of very, very good Christian rulers that we can look to for intercession and guidance. All right, limits to the state's power and the death penalty. Um, so the state retains legitimate authority as it conforms to God's, God's law. We get this from St. Paul um, and also from the letters of St. Peter. Um, the emperor is to be respected. Um, the state has the power of the sword. Um, we are to pray for our civil authorities. Uh, we, we do in, in divine liturgy every weekend. Um, so it's, it's biblically based in the New Testament that um, the state has legitimate authority. Uh, now, of course, the state's legitimate authority, when it promotes things that do not conform with God's law, um, number one, those laws are not binding in conscience. So if the, the state says all of a sudden, oh, hey, murder, yeah, that's good now. Go, go ahead and do that. Um, obviously, no, no, that's not in accord with God's law. And, and not only is that an unjust law, but we have an obligation to oppose that law, we've, which we've done with the pro-life movement, um, Roe versus Wade. From the moment that decision came down, um, the pro-life pro movement was born and has been active since then. Um, and has kind of uh, taken us to this moment in history, which is still uh, kind of on the, the point of a knife's edge. Um, but that, that kind of, that banning together for, resistance against those those movements uh in in a country that are that are not in conformity with god's law are absolutely uh legitimate and just uh just a brief word on capital punishment because there's been a bit of a, a change to the the catechism of the catholic church not christ our pasca but the the other one the big thick green catechism of the catholic church that was promulgated by john paul ii um, Pope Francis made a change to that back in uh, February of 2018 uh, to basically say that the death penalty is inadmissible. Um, and, and this is kind of the, the natural conclusion to what John Paul II had said in the, in the original catechism, which was that the use of the death penalty should be basically, it, it's basically non-existent is what John Paul II said, um, precisely because of the dignity of the human person, um, kind of that, uh, law, that, that law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is not, um, that is from the Code of Hammurabi, that's, you know, and it's cited in the Old Testament, but we've, we've, we've grown past that uh, in modernity with our, our modern systems of incarceration um, and, and for, you know, forensic science which can kind of confirm who's guilty and who's innocent um at least in in many cases uh that basically the the death penalty should be used very very infrequently and then pope francis took it kind of to the end of the reasoning saying basically it's inadmissible um now one now of course uh, there is an element of prudence here that in you know in in remotest africa where they don't have uh, a sophisticated incarceration system or in remote third world areas of the world 
um, the, the principle of moral theology that always has to be upheld is um, that a, a state has the right to defend its citizens against an unjust attacker, right? So I'll say that again. The state has the authority and the right to defend its citizens against an unjust attacker. Now, that could be an invading army, or that could be you know, a, a single murderer in a community. Um, um, because in, uh, that, that unjust attack, um, that's, that's what's to be defended against, because the principle of life um, is always the first principle to defend, right? Uh, especially innocent human life is always to be defended. Um, so still, there's some there's some wiggle room there, but but in in our American context in our Western context, um, the death penalty is is inadmissible. Um, it, it it is not. It, I mean, really, you know, as as horrific as many crimes are, um, the death penalty um, it doesn't bring the people back who have been killed. Um, it's not really it's not equal justice, uh, and I know this is a sensitive issue. Uh, but it's something that the church asks us to reflect on, especially in the light of the infinite value and dignity of each human person, um, even those who have committed terrible crimes. All right, hopefully that is clear. Let's continue to move on. Patriotism. So the Catechism Christ our Pascha talks a lot about um, we have a natural love and affinity and affection for family, neighbors, and countrymen. That's a positive natural virtue. Uh, Metropolitan uh, Andrei Shetitsky, um, very, very pa patriotic man himself. Um, this, this quote here, you can re read it in its entirety, feel free. But basically what he's saying is, um, you know, love of country is important. Uh, it's not inconsequential. Um, putting your, your family and your, your community and your country first is not a selfish thing. It's a very natural thing. Um, and, and being as it's a natural virtue, it ought to be encouraged. Now, that being said, um, uh, one of my, my favorite authors, G.K. Chesterton, said, my country, right or wrong, is like saying my mother drunk or sober. Um, I think there's some wisdom there. Um, patriotism does not mean turning a blind eye to the evils that are perpetrated by uh, your, your country uh, or your government. Uh, true patriotism seeks positive growth uh, in a nation toward God. Um, that's what true patriotism uh, is all about, is defending uh, what is right and good and holy and beautiful um, from being, uh, uh, being stripped away. Uh, so that, that's real patriotism, real patriotism. All right, let's continue to move on. The dignity of labor. Um, briefly to explain this image that I have um, under the, the, the Soviet system, the, the Russian clergy were forced to uh, take jobs um, because the, the socialist system thought that the, the Christian clergy were lazy um, because all they were were, were priests and clergymen. Um, and they just sat in their rectories and, and in their parishes and uh, mooched off the peasants was, was what the, uh, the social, what Lenin and, and his ilk thought. Um, but the priests, there are, there are stories of the priests um, um, going to work happily 
um, and working with their parishioners happily um, and, and doing what they needed to do because there's dignity in work. Uh, and we, we get this from Genesis. We get this from Genesis. Um, one of the first tasks that the Lord God gave was for Adam and Eve to keep and till the garden. Um, this is important. The, the Hebrew here um, is significant because this is language that would later on be adopted by the Levitical priests um, as terminology for worship. And I, I, I think that's that's special and that's, that's, that's unique um, in the word of God, that those, those terms from Genesis or at Adam and Eve's vocation to take care of the garden uh, gets adopted into the language of worship. Um, I, that's significant. Uh, that's, that's significant. Um, and I think it's significant because kind of that, that honor showed towards creation is not shown to creation in and of itself. Uh, we don't worship the trees or the grass or the birds. Um, that's not us. There are people in our culture who do worship creation. Um, but that, that, that due respect and diligence that we have towards creation um, is directing our worship towards God. God gave it. And so when we take care of it, when we keep it until it, that's honor given to God. And, and that's worship. That is a kind of worship, honor given to God. Um, so commenting on this, Augustine says, uh, there is another meaning to these words, which I, I believe worthy to propose that God himself works man and keeps him. Um, I, I like Augustine's take on this, that God works, right? Um, we kind of think of God as, some, as, you know, he created everything and now he's just kind of sitting in his heaven and, and just watching it all unfold. Um, no, God works because he works on us. Um, he works on our souls like a potter molding clay into a, a, a jar or a vessel. Um, and, you know, he works, he works on us throughout our lives. So if God works, if God works, then work has value and dignity. And that's important. Work has meaning, right? It's not just, well, I need to work because I need money. No, your, your work, what you do for a living has meaning to your life. Uh, it has meaning to your relationship with your family. And it has meaning toward your relationship with God. Absolutely. There is value and, and dignity in work. Um, absolutely. All right. Just to reiterate, work brings honor to the person and allows us to earn a living. This is from paragraph 976. Work allows us to discern our vocation. That's also important. The kinds of work that you're drawn to can be big signposts um, for you discerning what God wants you to ultimately do with your life. Uh, work facilitates the cooling of the passions, uh, the spiritual dimension of work. Uh, St. Theophon the Recluse writes, manual labor leads to humility, fills up odd intervals, and keeps our thoughts from wandering. Um, uh, idle hands and an idle mind get into trouble. Um, but if you're busy about your work, especially if you do manual labor, um, that 
integrated into your spiritual life is a very powerful tool to combating the devil. And from those lugusmoi, those intrusive thoughts, right? If you're busy about manual work, especially, um, you're not so concerned with the vices, right? Because you're you're busy. You're keeping you're keeping busy. You keep yourself out of trouble. Common common phrase. Um, but there's great spiritual wisdom there, and it's an integration, right? It's integrating work into your spiritual life, um, which is important. Which is important. All right, moving on. Uh, Christ Arpasca 980 to 982 talks about globalization. Um, this is a big deal. I don't think this was really talked about in the universal catechism of the Catholic Church, but uh, Christ Arpasca tackles it um, and, and does quite a, a, a good job um, addressing this, this modern uh, kind of uh, this, this modern philosophy. Um, and it's, it's, it's precisely because our world is getting smaller. It's easier to travel places. Um, technology brings us closer. I'm recording this on Zoom. Um, you're watching it on YouTube. Um, I, I don't know where you are in the world, but you could be in Zimbabwe and watching Becoming Byzantine. Um, our world is becoming smaller. Um, but because these gaps are decreasing, um, the Catechism points out some good things, some very, very good things. Um, that kind of just being closer together, um, there's some benefits. Number one, in terms of problem solving, um, it makes things easier. Um, the fact that that doctor in Zimbabwe who's, you know, deal, dealing with an outbreak in his village can call a colleague in the United States and get advice. I mean, that's, that's pretty invaluable. That's pretty awesome right there. That's, that's stuff my grandparents didn't have. Um, my parents didn't either, you know, so it's, uh, that's that's an amazingly wonderful thing. Um, it's easier to approach uh, to appreciate other cultures, um, which is great um, to see the good things that God has planted throughout the world in a variety of cultures is a wonderful thing. Um, there's a priest I admire who talks about that that the whole world is a garden. It's God's garden. Different kinds of flowers, uh, different kinds of plants, uh, but we can appreciate them all because God planted them. Um, evangelization, hello, um, becoming Byzantine, um, and every other uh, YouTube apologist and and Catholic uh, uh, apostolate that's that's available online. Um, evangelization is um, a lot easier today than it was, uh, gosh, even twenty years ago. Um, now, for all the positives, there there are real dangers in in thinking globally. Um, you can think so globally that you, you, you melt away all of those cultures into one global culture. So you take all those flowers in God's garden and you pluck them up. And now there's only one type of flower. Um, that's not a good thing. Um, you could also do that with moral standards. Um, kind of adopting a one world morality uh, is, is a dangerous thing. Um, because you could very easily adopt the wrong moral standards. Um, different cultures view moral, morality differently. Um, and, and to be quite honest, our world right now is not interested in Christian morality. Um, it's much more uh, interested in a uh, utilitarian, let's all kind of get along type morality, which oftentimes pushes out those who are marginalized. 
um, which, which we can't do, we can't stand for as Christians. Um, individual nations get merged into global conglomerates. Uh, you lose the sovereignty of the state, uh, the sovereignty of individ uh, individual nations. Um, there's some dangers there uh, that, that go beyond certainly what we're going, going to discuss, but um, I, I appreciated the way that the uh, Christ Arpasca handled this topic. Um, there are many goods, many, many goods, um, but there are some things, there are some warnings. Uh, there are some warnings that the catechism gives us that um, are, are worth heeding, are worth heeding. All right. 983 to 985, the Sabbath and recreation. Uh, this is talking about the Sabbath rest specifically. Uh, it's essential. Um, uh, Americans do the Sabbath quite poorly, I think, because our culture is very much uh, work, 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 work. Um, and I, you know, I'll rest when I've, I've made my millions and then I can rest, but it's no, it's, it's in, it's scripture. Um, it's, it's one of the 10 commandments that no, on the seventh day, God rested. So rest too. Um, and, 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 you know, enter into that, that rest, which God entered into, um, our observance of Sunday, which is the Lord's day requires us to focus our time and attention on reorienting ourselves on God. That's important. Um, Sunday is a kind of retreat day. Um, so attending divine liturgy and resting from unnecessary work allow us to enter into recreation, or as often I hear it, recreation. Kind of we recreate ourselves when we have appropriate rest. So John Paul wrote a, a document called Dies Domini, um, really excellent document on the meaning of the Lord's Day in uh, modern culture. Um, it's, a, it's a document worth looking at. But basically what he's saying here is, you know, that that Sunday rest um, gives us a way to refocus ourselves on spiritual values, uh, gives us an opportunity to reconnect with the people with whom we live. Um, having a meal as a family um, is still, it, it's, it's the family liturgy. Um, and so many families don't do it. Um, uh, guilty. I mean, there have been times we've been too, too busy to gather around the table and, and we've, we've neglected that. But that, you know, a family meal is a family liturgy um, to, to get out into nature, to, to, uh, to, you know, enjoy a hobby. Um, these are all things that are essential for man on a natural level, but when, when coupled with that commandment to rest and to revive yourself um, in, in, in the Lord's time, the Lord's day, um, that's important. Uh, and it's something we need to do an awfully lot better, uh, especially in our Western culture. Uh, we need to take this seriously. Uh, it's a commandment. It's a commandment. And going to church is not enough. It's not enough. Um, so there you go. 986 to 990 tackles the topic of peace. Um, peace is essential because of the dignity of the person. Um, and peace means a whole lot more than the absence of war. Um, it certainly does mean the absence of war. That's how, you know, that's the main thing. Um, but also means the proper administration of justice, um, 
you know, and it's the fruit of loving our neighbor. If we love our neighbor, we will have peace. That means the people in your own house. That means your next door neighbors. That means the people in your city, the people in your state, people in your country. Um, the more that happens, which is a Christian thing, it's a virtue thing. Um, the more that happens, the more the world will, will have peace. Um, absolutely. Um, human weakness and sin can lead to a state of war. Um, and you have to use military force for self-defense. I give you just the example of the war in Ukraine that's still ongoing, sadly. Um, that is the result of nothing but uh, human weakness and sin. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate because the Ukrainians didn't ask for it, but they've done a, a heck of a job defending themselves against an unjust attacker. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate. Um, it should be it should be peace. The world should be at peace, but um, we still haven't learned as human beings. Um, and really, it's it's you know because modern warfare is so devastating, it's so pinpoint accurate. Those those smart bombs. Um, it's of paramount importance that nations uh, strive for maintaining peace. Um, it's it's dev devastatingly sad. Um, the unnecessary loss of life uh, in Ukraine um, on both sides, the Ukrainians and the Russians, it's devastatingly sad because it's unnecessary. Um, and it's a failure of, uh, certainly a failure of uh, modern diplomacy. Um, uh, resolution should have been reached. Um, but it is sad, and we, we pray for the repose of the souls of those who have lost their lives in armed conflict throughout the world. All right. Care of creation, coming down to the end here, 991 to 998. Um, you know, going back to Adam and Eve, who were given to keep and till the garden, right? Um, this is man's original vocation, okay? Um, and then we failed, uh, we, we kind of, we, we failed in that vocation and we cast off um, our role as chief stewards over creation with the fall. But because Christ came to redeem us, um, that, that stewardship is given to us again. Um, and now we have the grace to do it. Um, and, and this is not a liberal or a conservative political issue. Um, unfortunately, it's too often dominated by liberal and conservative politicians um, about care for creation. Um, I'm sorry, the church has always taught that care for creation is a moral issue. This belongs to the realm of morality, virtue, and vice, okay? Um, and because we love God, and God gave us this world, those are two facts, two facts of, of revelation. Um, we ought to make use of creation with an eye to preserve and protect the environment for use by future generations. Again, uh, that's, not, that's not liberal. Um, that's not conservative. It's Christian, right? So taking care of the earth is a Christian moral issue, right? Um, now, 
there's there's of course a, a temptation to turn the earth into a god um and and kind of make it more important than what it is um and then there's also the flip side of that to eh, you know what god's going to remake this thing anyway at the end of time so you know i i can pollute as much as i want well no that's the wrong attitude um somewhere in the middle somewhere in the middle is is where that respect is um if you want more information on this actually um ecumenical patriarch bartholomew has done a great job um and pope francis has talked a lot about this on kind of the christian approach to respecting the environment um it's important it's important it's 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 good to see East and West um, cooperating in something of this, this magnitude um, and this, this moral weight. So it's, it's a very, very good thing. So hopefully that, that makes sense and doesn't, uh, it's, it's, it's certainly, it's not offensive. Um, we can talk about this um, from the standpoint of Christian morality and, uh, communicate well uh, with both sides of the political spectrum all right coming down to the end last couple pages in the catechism um christ is coming to make all things new and i think this is a very appropriate point to end with and I, i'm not even going to take it out i'm going to let father alexander schmemann um in his book for the life of the world to take it out. So he says, the church is the sacrament of the kingdom, not because she possesses divinely instituted acts called sacraments, but because she is the possibility given to, to man to see in and through this world and uh, the world to come, to see and to live it in Christ. It is only when in the darkness of this world, we discern that Christ has already fulfilled all things with himself that these things, whatever they may be, are revealed and given to us, full of meaning and beauty. A Christian is the one who, wherever he looks, finds Christ and rejoices in him. And this joy transforms all his human plans and programs, decisions and actions, making all his mission the sacrament of the world's return to him, who is the life of the world. Um. That's incredibly beautiful. Um, the church has always looked at reality through eschatological eyes. Um, we've always looked at things with the understanding that he is coming back and he will make all things new. Um, and I love Father Schmemann's kind of call here that a, a Christian is the one who looks and finds Christ and rejoices in him. Um, and transforms all his human plans and programs, decisions, and actions into making all his mission the sacrament of the world's return to him. That's, that sums it up beautifully. Um, we are called in our lives through our witness, through the living out of our baptism, through our life in marriage and family, or whatever of our vocation may be, um, we are called to be constantly turning ourselves into a gift uh, back to Christ that says, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Um, and with that, 
um, welcoming the final victory of Christ, the final uh, reign of Christ um, over all creation, uh, his, his, you know, that marriage feast of the Lamb, right? That, that the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven and, and the marriage of the new Jerusalem and this, this world in which we live. And all the good things of this world will remain and will be beautified and will be perfected in Christ. And we'll be able to enjoy them for all eternity, body and soul, because he raised our bodies from the ground and reunited them with our souls in the resurrection on the last day. Um, if that's not good news, I don't know what is. Um, that is the best news I've ever heard. All right. Thank you all very much for walking with us through this Becoming Byzantine series. Um, like I've always said, um, we rely on you to share these videos, to like them, subscribe to our YouTube channel, please. Spread the wealth, spread it around, because we are trying to tell the good news of Jesus Christ to anyone who will listen uh, so that we can give glory to God um, and to draw many, many souls uh, to embrace the warmth and the love of our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So on that, God bless you all. Thank you so much. Please pray for us in our ministry and our work. And uh, we will see you uh, again very, very soon. All right. Take care. Glory to Jesus Christ.